We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. The U.S. Constitution obligates our government to preserve and protect the rights that our founders recognize come from God, our creator, not our government. I believe that scripture in the Bible is very clear that God is the one that raised up each of you and God has allowed us to be brought here to this specific moment in time. This is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Good morning. It is Thursday, January 11th, and I am being told by my producers that the actual biggest headline yesterday was that Nick Saban is retiring. And I will just admit to all of you that I had no idea who that is. And I know all of you are probably, or a few of you maybe who are into, I think it's college football, if that's right. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm literally probably giving my producer Devin a heart attack right now by, <laughs> by saying, I think, I think, I don't know. Um, but for those of you who don't care about college football, football like me. Um, This really didn't impact your life at all. But for those of you who do follow that um, pretty religiously, then uh, that was a a, a big deal yesterday. And I I did see it trending on X, but because it really wasn't political related, um, you know, or had anything to do with uh, my life and interests, I kind of ignored it. But apparently, that is the biggest headline. So uh, that aside, and uh, probably the guys on today's issues um, can give you a little bit more info on that. Hopefully, there, there's some uh, college football fans among the guys this afternoon. But uh, we'll turn to the debate uh, that was between Governor Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley last night. And it also was in tandem with Donald Trump doing a town hall on Fox News. And Vivek Ramaswamy, who didn't qualify for the debate, had a uh, had an open X uh, streaming um, thing with uh, Tim Poole and Candace Owens. And along with that, uh, Chris Christie is out of the race. So I ate a donut this morning in solidarity, you know, poured out a, a coffee for him. So, <laughs> um, so uh, no, I mean, I, I think Chris Christie, um, you know, his whole campaign was about trolling. And that was that was about it. And I think uh, for the people who donated, especially the, the larger dollar donors uh, to his campaign, when he specifically said his entire purpose was just to troll Donald Trump, um, that could have been used for better things. But hey, you know, everybody has uh, the right to donate to the candidate of their choice. And, and this is an open primary. And um, for what it's worth, he, he did run actually a pretty good campaign, considering that that was his uh, entire basis for his campaign. So we're going to get into the debate more in the next segment. But first, I want to bring on uh, my guest, Carl Zabo, who is uh, a professor of internet law at Scalia Law School. And um, this is a really interesting issue because um, the progressives are pushing to change antitrust law 
in the United States. And this has um, a lot of bearing on the Constitution and how the political left is just trying on purpose, I think, to uh, to change and, and ultimately destroy our, our institutions. But uh, Carl, good morning. And um, first of all, you know, kind of give us a background of what antitrust law is for those who aren't aware and why this is so important. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And I, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to agree with your producer, Devin. Nick Saban's uh, <laughs> retirement was probably the biggest news yesterday, but uh, I'm, a, I'm a Michigan fan. All right. Uh, All right. Sorry, I, I concede. I concede to the men out there. <laughs> okay. And the women. There are some women um, who are interested in college football. Oh, yeah. Sure. A lot, 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 lot of, <laughs> lot of uh, big fans of Alabama who are sad today. Um, but, okay. So what is antitrust law? Antitrust law basically says that we don't want one company being able to completely control the market in a way that harms consumers. They can't increase prices and decrease quality of service. A great example of that would be something like Ticketmaster, right? Ticketmaster can't even be able to get people tickets to Taylor Swift, their one job, yet their prices keep going up and their services keep going down. That's a broken market. That is a failed market. That's where antitrust law is supposed to come into play. But what we are unfortunately seeing is something that's kind of alluded to across the board. And you're going to talk about this a little bit more when you talk about the debate. But this is elimination of choices and the weaponization of government. And there is something sinister in a lot of the Democratic thinking where they don't want to let Americans have choices. They want to make the choices for us. They don't want to let voters choose to vote for somebody other than President Biden because they're shutting down primaries in many states. They want to take President Trump off the ballot. And Senator Bernie Sanders has said Americans have too much choice when it comes to things like deodorant. So what we are seeing is the weaponization of antitrust law to actually attack our daily lives. Talk about table uh, issues. Right now, we have incredible choice on many of the things we want to buy. And that's because of services like Walmart, services like Amazon, services like Target. But we are seeing lawsuits against many of these businesses because there is a fundamental belief by the progressive left who is running the administration that these businesses are too successful, that success is sinful, and we have too many choices. So they are actively pushing legislation that does not help consumers, it actually harms consumers, to raise prices to then help uh, kind of these artisanal groups that they support rather than helping the American consumer. So this seems like the legislation that they're pushing based on your description is completely antithetical to the entire idea of antitrust, which should promote uh, consumerism. It should pr- promote um, a free market economy and should promote competition ultimately. And if they are picking and choosing winners and losers based on legislation, um, how how would that survive a legal challenge? Uh, because that's actually, it, it, I mean, it could be t- even interference with uh, business practices. No, that, that that's the entire point is interference with business practices. That that. The, the, the process is the punishment for many of these progressives. They have decided that some businesses are good and some businesses are inherently evil. And unfortunately, the businesses that many of these progressives don't like are America's most successful businesses. There are currently actions to annihilate the ability of Amazon to reliably get us our products in two days because they think that is bad. There are currently actions against businesses like Google to make it easier for small businesses to advertise online. 
there are currently actions against X on privacy issues because they don't like the fact that Elon Musk has allowed conservatives to have more of a voice online. And you're exactly right. All of these are gross overreaches of executive power and abuses of the very thing we want. We want government to protect consumers on simple things. Make sure the roads are open. Make sure the schools are open. Make sure the military is well defended. And then get the heck out of the way and let us live our lives. But unfortunately, we're seeing weaponization of antitrust. So what we need is to enshrine legislation. Now, there's legislation in Congress that uh, Senator Mike Lee, for example, is pushing. It's called the One Agency Act. And it would make crystal clear that when it comes to antitrust law, the goal is to protect consumers. So if we are enjoying lower prices, more choice, better services, that is a good thing, regardless of whether the Biden administration likes that business or not. Leave it up to the consumer. So that's where we really need to step up and take steps to start calling back the power of the executive branch at government agencies like the Federal Trade Commission, like the Department of Justice, who are weaponizing antitrust law to advance their preferred companies at the expense of American citizens and American pocketbooks. I'm talking with Carl Zabo, who is a professor of Internet law at the Scalia Law School. And, you know, one of the, the things that um, that I've I've never really understood about how uh, the, the government tries to pick these winners and losers is that because a free market economy is always premised on the basic assumption that the consumer does decide. I mean, who de- who determines what services are better or whether, uh, you know, Ticketmaster is is ultimately too expensive and not worth it the consumer. And the whole idea of a free market economy is that if the consumer doesn't uh, feel the va- the value in their service or their purchase, then they're going to go elsewhere as long as you can go elsewhere. And so I think that's really um, the key. But why does the government here in the Biden administration feel that they can determine what, quote unquote, better services means? So what they're doing is they are actually looking across the pond to what's going on in Europe. And Europe fundamentally wants to undermine American businesses because, well, they're not European businesses. They are attacking our most successful businesses because they don't have successful businesses. And unfortunately, many in the administration look to Europe as a, quote, leader when it comes to policy, regulation, and control of citizens and want to make us more like them. And they're importing what I refer to as medieval antitrust law. So historically, you would have facts, evidence, and the rule of law make a decision on whether somebody is innocent or guilty. The way that it goes in Europe and the way that, unfortunately, the Biden administration is steering us is It is no longer based on facts and evidence and the rule of law. It is based on the whims of the people in power. And so they're importing this approach, and they are deciding that America is fundamentally bad, that American businesses are fundamentally bad, and abandoning the old adage that in America anyone can make it and replacing it with anyone can make it so long as they don't make too much. And that's really what this is about. This is about the notion that success is sinful, that big is bad, and regardless of the harm to American consumers and the increase in our pocket, uh, decrease of money in our pockets and the decrease in choice that we have, 
they will advance their goal of taking away choices from Americans. And this is really scary. At the same time, what's also disheartening is they're taking the eye off their off the ball of doing their real job, which is protecting consumers. Today, consumer fraud is up 300%, costing us $8.8 billion. And that's because the Biden administration has gone away from enforcing consumer protection laws against things like fraud and deception, and instead attacking American businesses. And that's really what's happening across the board, is an attack on American businesses. And it's time for Congress to begin using the power of the purse and cutting the funds of these rogue federal agencies and enshrining laws to make crystal clear that what they are doing is illegal and we will no longer stand for it. Yeah, and this makes sense that we need a legislative solution because um, you know, antitrust law is enforced by the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, and also the Department of Justice. And so we need legislative solutions. Is this even potentially, uh, Carl Zabo, a, a bipartisan or potentially even nonpartisan issue that uh, could get past uh, the Senate and we could actually have some meaningful legislation? I think it absolutely should be a bipartisan issue and could be a bipartisan issue because at the end of the day, every lawmaker's goal should be to protect its citizens. And that's all that this legislation is doing. It's saying, put the interests of the consumer first, put the interests of the American taxpayer first, ahead of any corporation you may, you, you know, government entity may not like, ahead of any corporation that you government entity do like. You put the interests of the consumer, let the consumer decide. That should be crystal clear bipartisan consensus. The other component is we need to get away from weaponization of government. The executive branch should enforce laws equally and fairly, regardless of who sits in the White House. And I think Democrats are starting to realize that maybe it won't be a Democrat in the White House next year. And so they better get on board with creating protections against government overreach because that very same government overreach may be turned against them come 2025. Yeah, really important points. Uh, Carl Zabo, who's the vice president and general counsel for Net Choice and professor of Internet law at George Mason University Scalia Law School. Always really appreciate your insights on this. And, um, and it's such an important point to underscore that, you know, when we talk about weaponization of government, uh, often in in the media, that means that we're talking about Donald Trump, right? He, and that's kind of what um, his campaign is focused on is just solely um, about him and you know some of the the, um, the the weaponization of government against him. But this is much broader than that, and we've seen not only conservatives being targeted uh, by the weaponization of government, but some of these uh, other issues that are going on. That this is a much more broad viewpoint uh, from the progressive left that really needs to stop in all of these areas. So we as conservatives should be very concerned about the weaponization of government wherever it lies and ensuring that we continue to preserve and protect our U.S. Constitution, the intent of the law, our civil society, our free market, all of these things. All right, we'll be back with more. And the headline just dropped that Bill Belichick, I think I pronounced that right, um, the Patriots coach is leaving after 24 seasons and six Super Bowl wins. So this is all about football. I know I'm going to get a lot of hate mail. That's okay because, you know, we'll, we'll be right back to talk about politics, the better sport, when we get back. 
If you're like most of us, you're paying way too much for healthcare. That's why I want to tell you about a ministry that has been meeting the healthcare needs of hundreds of thousands of Christians, and that's Christian Healthcare Ministries, chministries.org. Christian Healthcare Ministries is cost sharing made easy. For over 40 years, this unique model has allowed believers to choose their own doctors without worrying about networks or waiting periods, since they are not insurance, but a faith-based alternative to insurance. Members not only get advantages from the affordability, flexibility, and reliability of CHM, but they also receive access to 24-7 telehealth services at no additional cost. It's no surprise that doctors across the country appreciate working with CHM, and so will you. It all starts with a visit to chministries.org AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR. Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health share ministry serving all 50 states. Share the good news with a friend too. chministries.com slash AFR. Make the switch today with any time enrollment. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And wow, what a break uh, that was. I was absolutely uh, reamed by not only my producers, but also um, Parrish Alford, who is a shout out to him, who's, who uh, works for um, American Family Association as well and does a lot of the uh, the news over at AFN. You can uh, see all of that at American Family News. And he texted me this. Let me chime in and say that the Sabin news is huge. Sometimes sports transcends news. This is one. You did well on Belichick's name, though. So thanks for that, Parrish. And, um, you know, I, I always get the – because I have a podcast on uh, Salem Media, I get their uh, news of the day. It's called Salem Daybreak for all the hosts that's uh, topics and ideas like the the, the top 10 trending uh, headlines of the day and I was scrolling down and I didn't see uh, Nick Saban but then lo and behold it is number 10 so I think that Salem Media does have the priority straight there because they mentioned it but it is all the way at number 10. So uh, let's bring in our next guest, though, Rob Salvador, who is a a media surrogate for Governor Ron DeSantis and the CEO of a tech company in Florida. And um, so, Rob, before we get to the debates, I'm being told by um, at least all of the guys uh, that that I have to work with every morning, um, you know, it's rough sometimes that the the Saban news actually transcends the political news. Uh, What's your take on that? Hey, John. Well, yeah, happy to be back. So, you know what? We pulled a late night with the debate last night, and you were my first call this morning. So I have not seen the Saban news yet. So if you want to tell me what's happening, and I will give oh, you my thoughts on it, see? go ahead. But you are the first thing I've done this morning. So Wow. See, so Rob... Rob doesn't even know about this because he was so focused on watching the debate, caring about our country, you know, looking at Iowa. At Rob, I salute you for the right priorities. Um, but this is the headline. Nick Saban retires from coaching after 17 seasons, six national championships at Alabama. I'm being told that he is a college coach. So uh, that's the news. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean, that's definitely a big deal. Um, you know, Nick Saban's a legend. I think that's, you know, in the college football world, that's probably like, you know, when Michael Jordan retired, and obviously we're hearing rumors of Bill Belichick retiring. So, I mean, that actually just happened. Obviously, yeah, obviously Iowa, you know, is huge for college football with the Iowa Hawkeyes. So, um, wow, no, that's crazy news. Um, He's had an incredible career, and, you know, if anyone deserves it, it's him. And he, you know, he has a big voice, and I have no doubt he probably ends up in media, I would guess. So, um, you know, so on, to him for a great on career. the scale on the scale then of Chris Christie, uh, 
getting out of the presidential race and Nick Saban retiring, uh, which which was more earth shattering? Uh, I would say earth shattering, probably the Saban news, (laughs) because I think a lot of people kind of expected Chris Christie to get out at some point. I just think it happened a little sooner than some people may have expected. But um, as I'm sure we'll get into our poll that we came out with uh, was actually the only poll that showed Christie with no support. And so we were not that surprised. Um, So I would definitely say that the Saban news is probably bigger news (laughs) or more surprising news on our end. Yeah, yeah, you can't say that Saban, anything is bigger news than Christie. I think that's probably uh, unfair there. But, but, uh, but, all right. All jokes aside, let's um, let's move move forward into the debate. And and I want to talk about your poll because um, you know you are a CEO of a of an AI tech company in Florida, and you've had this kind of novel model of polling that I was talking with um, my guest yesterday, Bill Mitchell, about. And we actually played a little bit of sound of you on the Steve Dace show. Uh, talking about um, this model that is much more data driven than uh, just the subjective, uh, you know, kind of uh, samples that polls have historically been so completely off and they have manipulated, really, I think, um, and I term them a bandwagon fallacy. And so um, now that Christie is out, this actually kind of proved your point about a more data-driven poll. And so um, so explain kind of the, the mindset behind this. And, and regardless of the outcome of the 2024 election, I think this has the potential to really change the polling landscape. Yeah, you know, as we've talked about before, you know, our, my thought has always been if these polls are going to be used to represent democracy, then we should be sure that they're accurate. We should be using data and we should be using the things that you know, the biggest companies in the world use every single day to make accurate predictions, you know, about people's habits based off of data and technology and whatnot. So we set out to create a poll that used some of the traditional polling methods because the statistics behind that is right. But as we've talked about before, they're misused. These polls are taken from limited samples or they get, you know, biased data. And then that is presented on TV and big media as if it's representing the truth. And as we've seen in the past, these polls are accurate almost not never. Um, you know, they've been wrong so many different times. So we basically, our thesis was that there's so much more that people say in what they're not directly saying to people about politics. So, you know, people may have an underlying thought or feeling about someone that is expressed but not expressed directly. And so what we're able to do is just use technology to look at the many data points that are out there, um, you know, both digitally and in traditional polling methods, and have a poll that is a more complete picture. And, yeah, as you said yesterday, you know, we were the only one that showed Christie with no noticeable support. And, you know, if you look at the Des Moines Register, they showed him at like 4%. Uh, Trafalgar showed him at like 3%. And ours showed him under 1%, and obviously he's dropped out. So we think that, yeah, this is definitely going to be a better polling method going forward because it just uses technology. And, you know, I think that's going to be best for the Republican landscape, um, for the people of the United States, and for fairness of elections in general. You know, we should want all the information we can about these candidates to make a good decision, and that's what we're, we've done with our poll. Yeah, and, and it really does seem, uh, Rob Salvador, that – uh, if polls are going to be useful to help uh, voters make 
better decisions and if they aren't just a bandwagon fallacy that one campaign can tout, well, we're so far ahead in the polls uh, that, that that would discourage other candidates from even entering the race or potentially prompting them to drop out or, you know, whatever it's used for. Um, and, and in the general, uh, that's also used in, in a similar way. I mean, we saw what happened in 2016 with Hillary Clinton, and it was uh, trying to the media was trying to forecast that she was just going to win by a total blowout landslide. And of course, that didn't happen. Thankfully, uh, people didn't believe the polls enough. People got out and voted and um, and ultimately uh, Donald Trump won that election. And and so we we want to have better facts and information and hopefully voters want a better information. So interestingly, um, with Iowa coming up on Monday, the Iowa caucuses, uh, where has your poll placed uh, the Republican primary? And I think it's a two man race at this point between uh, Trump and DeSantis. Uh, what has your poll said comparatively with some of the other even Republican based polls? Sure. Yeah. So it's really interesting because, you know, you talk about those polls and for the last four, five, six months, they were everywhere. They come out every day, every two days, every week. And, you know, they showed these crazy numbers, Trump winning by unprecedented amounts, which, you know, was weird to me because, like you said, when they told us that in 2016, we caught them lying. We, we remember that's not true. And so it's really interesting to believe these polls, you know, just on the surface. So then you realize that Real Clear Politics, which ranks all the polls, starts their rankings about three weeks out from when the Iowa caucus starts. Well, if you measure that, now all of these pollsters, they've stopped putting out polls since about December 17th. Polls are down 74 percent. And it's because Real Clear Politics is now measuring so it's certainly very weird that now that the rankings count, now that these polls are measured, that all the pollsters aren't putting out these polls anymore saying Trump's up by a ton. The one we did, which was purely driven on data, and, you know, I even said it originally, I was going to release it no matter where DeSantis stood. You know, even I'm, though I'm a DeSantis advisor, I was going to release it either way. Once we got all that data together, DeSantis was performing much better than those polls were showing and in our numbers, you know, that we showed him just slightly behind former President Trump. And so we think DeSantis has a bunch of momentum going into Iowa. It would not surprise us at all if he performs really well. Um, I mean, if the trend continues, who knows? Our forecast may, you know, show him almost winning or winning. Um, but definitely very different from the polls that were coming out a month or two ago that all of a sudden have gone silent. Um, so we think that we are showing a more accurate indicator and the people deserve that. Yeah, that's really fascinating, uh, Rob Salvador. So where are these? I mean, I know it's on your uh, X feed, uh, but in terms of where these polls are published and, and any of the accompanying uh, data in terms of what has gone into this, uh, where is all of that published and when are you planning to uh, to potentially release another data-driven poll? Yeah, so we're going to do one more on the 14th. So I think that Sunday night, uh, right before the Iowa caucus, we will do our second poll. Um, we're going to make some adjustments. Um, you know, we're, you know, we did this as a beta test. We're not one of these mainstream pollsters. So, you know, we gathered information. Um, we're talking to some of the best out there at how we can make the poll better and hopefully more accurate. And so the next one will come out, uh, on Sunday, we'll release a bunch of information again about, you know, both the traditional methods of collection, um, the traditional numbers and, you know, um, the error and all that good stuff. 
as well as the digital collection and how we're using digital data to empower the traditional data. So, yeah, we'll have all that Sunday, and then obviously the caucus is Monday, and, you know, we're going to stand by our results either way. And the cool thing about this, unlike traditional polling, where if they're wrong, they just hope you forget about it, this is an AI ML model, meaning machine learning. And so this information is going to learn as it makes these assumptions, and if it's good, it helps to train the model. If it's bad, it helps to train the model even more because the model is able to look at, okay, what did I get wrong here, and how can I fix this for next time? So, again, this is just something that should be improving with technology, and that's what our poll will do compared to a lot of the things that we, we've seen in the past. Yeah, and, and that really should be the goal, uh, Rob Salvador, is to actually correct um, and adjust and actually get to uh, the, the correct data instead of a lot of these polls that are outcome-driven, and if they end up with um, – with a favorable percentage for either the candidate that commissioned it or uh, what the candidate that they prefer, then they're happy to put out that poll anyway. And um, and that really doesn't serve uh, anyone's interests other than, um, you know, maybe the candidate, but it should be more uh, open and, and disclosed in terms of uh, not appearing like there's no bias involved if a campaign uh, commissions it. You know, generally speaking, that is public information. But at the same time, not many people pay attention to it. It's just uh, referred to on media as, oh, this poll said this. And the basic assumption is that's accurate data when it's it's really not. But in the last um, few minutes I have with you, Rob Salvador, um, I want to get your reaction to the debate last night. So obviously, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy did not qualify. Chris Christie uh, dropped out. Uh, Donald Trump did the town hall on Fox News at the same time. So it was just uh, Governor DeSantis and Nikki Haley going head to head. And my favorite comment about the whole thing was uh, from one uh, one guy on X that said, uh, Ron DeSantis is about to Gavin Newsom, Nikki Haley. And I thought that was fantastic because you have basically the clash between the most conservative governor in the country um, against a former governor of South Carolina and someone who now has has clearly uh, gone way more establishment Republican globalist uh, through her time at the United Nations. And Governor DeSantis saying, you know, you can take uh, you can take the ambassador out of the U.N., but you can't take the U.N. out of the ambassador was also a really brilliant line. But your reaction overall to the debate? Yeah, no, I mean, I think um, it was a great performance by Governor DeSantis. Uh, I think, you know, his record speaks for itself. So, I, you know, he is having good reaction in the media again. But it's no surprise because he just stands on his record, right? You know, Florida, and he said this last night, is the 13th largest economy in the world. And he's got it as the number one economy in the U.S. It's got school choice. It's got great schools. It's got safe streets. You know, he's actually been able to remove the deep state, which is something others have just talked about, you know, by getting rid of a couple of these Soros-backed prosecutors. So I think, you know, as always, he mentioned his great record, and that's just something that, you know, both the American people and the people of Iowa, you know, see clearly, um, you know, as a major success, as well as a beacon of freedom, you know, after what he did standing up during COVID. So, um, yeah, I mean, Nikki Haley, you you heard the Chris Christie recording that came out yesterday right before he dropped out saying that basically, you know, she's in over her head and that they are just absolutely lighting money on fire with her, her donors. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think Nikki Haley has been, you know, a, a public servant and I appreciate her uh, as a person. But, yeah, to your point, you know, she didn't sign the bathroom bill protecting, um, you know, little girls in bathrooms. 
she was wearing masks outside in 2021. Uh, you know, she's backed by all the globalist warmongers. So I just don't think she represents what, you know, conservatives and really what the United States needs at this point, which is that we need Ron DeSantis to do to the White House what he did in Florida, because that blueprint is working. And Nikki Haley's done some good things, but, you know, she was kind of an unmemorable governor. Um, as an ambassador, like you said, she's kind of a warmonger. And, you know, we just have the best in the game right now with Ron DeSantis. And, you know, as a country, we should make that choice to, you know, follow that Florida blueprint that will be the best for the United States of America. So I think it was a great performance for DeSantis last night, just like he has performed well at all the other debates. Yeah, and, and I think it was uh, DeSantis hitting his stride. And I'm talking with Rob Salvador, who is a DeSantis campaign advisor and also the CEO of a tech company in Florida. Um, you know, the one the one criticism I think I had, uh, Robin, just in the last 30 seconds, um, that I wish that Governor DeSantis had hit this stride earlier in the campaign cycle. And I think if he had and he had been uh, this clear and he was willing to call out uh, you know, Nikki Haley, President Trump's record and some of these things that conservatives really resonate with. Um, do you think that that would have been better for his campaign than moving into Iowa? Well, you know, I mean, I always think there's things that could have been done better or done differently. Um, what I think matters right now is just to focus on Iowa. I mean, you know, the vote has not happened yet. And there is all the momentum for Governor DeSantis on the ground in Iowa. You know, that, that's what we're hearing. So um, we've always thought that Iowa breaks late. And so these last couple of weeks, you know, the plan seems to be coming to fruition. So obviously, you know, Trump has done a great job in big media and he's had a big name for a long time. So um, I think some of that may have been out of Governor DeSantis's control. But yeah, and we'll see what right happens in think, yeah, we'll yeah. see what happens in Iowa. And I'll be speaking with Representative Thomas Massey uh, after the break, who has been in Iowa campaigning with Governor DeSantis. We'll talk to him as well as about uh, the congressional spending bill when we get back here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. Last year, because of you, Preborn's network of clinics saw over 58,000 babies saved. Thank you to all who made this possible. Let's celebrate these precious babies. When Antoinette found out she was pregnant, she was in a very bad place. She didn't know how she could raise a child on her own. She searched for an abortion clinic, and God led her to a preborn clinic where she met her baby on ultrasound. When she saw her baby and heard the heartbeat, she broke down crying, and the nurse reminded her that babies are a blessing from God. She chose life. Her daughter's name is Treasure because she is a gift from God. Each of these babies are truly miraculous, and every day, Preborn celebrates 200 miracles. $28 a month can be the difference between the life and the death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection that doubles the baby's chance at life. Let's join together and help mothers choose life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And it is now time to get sassy with Massey, which of course refers to the infamous hashtag sassy with Massey from one of my absolutely favorite people 
in the United States Congress. That would be Congressman Thomas Massey, who is a stalwart conservative and uh, just really excellent in terms of always focusing on the U.S. Constitution and conservative principles, regardless of who gets upset about it. So, uh, Congressman Massey, thanks so much for joining this morning. And uh, I want to ask you, first of all, about the congressional spending bill. We have seen that Speaker Johnson uh, has basically said this was the best deal that we possibly could have made with the slim um, majority in the House. Do you agree with that analysis? Um, Well, I have an update, I believe. I do not agree with the analysis. we, the best deal we could make was the deal we made this summer. It was called the Fiscal Responsibility Act. And in exchange for raising the debt limit, we got Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer to sign into law that you know Schumer voted for it and Biden signed it into law, a bill which capped spending at below Nancy Pelosi's levels last year. Now, if and if we also got in that bill this last summer – a provision, some of it call it the Massey plan after me, because I insisted on this, a provision that says if we keep doing CRs instead of spending bills, if we just do the cut, copy, paste spending bill called a continuing resolution, that there will be an automatic 1% cut. Now, I couldn't believe it, but Joe Biden agreed to that also this summer. So those are signed into law. Those aren't some secret side deals or, or gentlemen's agreements. What they're what Schumer and Biden are trying to say now is they had some kind of side deal with McCarthy. The problem with that is McCarthy is no longer the speaker. I'm sorry if you uh, think you had a wink and a nod to spend more money than what we agreed to when we raised the debt limit. That deal is off when that speaker leaves. So um, that's what they, you know, they went to Mike Johnson and they said, you know, we'll sh- we'll shut down the government. That Biden and Schumer are ready to shut down the government. If we try to keep them to the deal that they signed into law this summer. So what I would say, Jenna, is that we need to stick to the deal that we signed into law this summer. Some of us, I was very reluctant to do this, but some of us said, my goodness, this, this, this is the first spending cut that we have seen signed into law since we've been in Congress. And I've been here 10 years. And so even though we hate raising the debt limit, even though we've never voted for a debt limit, this is the first time we've ever got anything on a debt limit. So we voted for that. So if we go for higher levels of spending, I would call that a bait and switch, not on Mike Johnson's part, but on Schumer and Biden's part. And I think Mike Johnson's got to reject it and tell them, nope, we're going with what's in law, not with what you say was some kind of secret deal. And that makes a lot of sense. And I think, uh, Congressman Massey, that a lot of Republicans are very quick to uh, blame the speaker. And there are even calls to vacate the chair uh, yet again, which in my view, it's like, look at how long it took uh, to get a replacement for McCarthy. And who do they expect uh, to be any better and maybe to focus on the problems that the Democrats are? are pushing instead of always just being uh, concerned about the leadership. And so overall, um, what has your view of Mike Johnson's tenure been? Um, I know him personally. I think he's a a, a very sincere uh, Christian. He is a a conservative. And so do you think that some of these uh, pushbacks against him are fair? He's a you characterized him very well. He's a Christian man. He's an honest man. He is a principled man. 
and he's been thrown into a situation with a uh, hand that he's been dealt um, that's very tough to play. Uh, he's had to staff up the Speaker's office. You know, some of these people come into the Speakership having been a committee chairman. They've already got 30 or 40 people working for him. They just move them in. He went from, you know, uh, vice chairman of the conference or something where you get like one employee uh, other than your congressional office into the Speaker's office. And so I, I think he deserves a fair shake here. The honeymoon period, I thought, between, between the folks who ousted Kevin and, um, you know, the, I thought they would give Mike Johnson a honeymoon period of a month or two. It lasted about three days. But with that said, there are some difficult decisions to make here. And um, I'm not blaming Mike Johnson, but, you know, we've got to tell Schumer and, and Biden, no, you guys made a deal. We're not breaking the deal. Now, if Mike Johnson could get some really great policy change that America needs, for instance, enforcing our border, okay, that might be worth opening the deal back up from this summer that was signed into law. But um, that's not what's on the table. So what happened this week, Jenna, actually just yesterday, uh, there were, I don't know, maybe a dozen, maybe, uh, or 15, actually. It was 15 people voted against a procedural motion on the floor of the House. And so they stopped all forward motion of any of the bills we were doing some Congressional Review Act bills that would repeal Biden administration policies, you know, these executive order type administrative rules that are promoted without Congress's intervention. Well, we had a few bills to repeal those, and um, they got stopped yesterday by some of my friends. So, you know, conservatives said, time out. Um, it's not about these bills that you're trying to pass today because most of them would have passed easily with Republican votes. It's about we need to talk about this spending deal and how Schumer and, and Biden are pushing back. What I, what I think conservatives, though, owe to Mike Johnson now is if you're going to if you're going to stop all forward progress of anything um, to get his attention, which is what happened yesterday. Um, and if you're going to object to his negotiations with Schumer and Biden, you have to tell Mike Johnson what you will vote for. Because we have a majority that's just only a couple of votes. And if somebody is out sick, so for instance, Steve Scalise uh, is out sick, we've got a majority of one. So if, if three people have a burr in their saddle and say, I'm not going to vote for a continuing resolution that automatically cuts the government 1%, well, then we don't have a deal on our side. We can't even get them to hold to existing law. So there's, I think right now, what has to happen is Speaker Johnson needs to hear from conservatives, uh, the ones who stopped forward progress yesterday, that here is what we would vote for. And it's got to be in the realm of possibility. It's got to be something that would pass in the Senate. And I'm speaking with Congressman Thomas Massey from the great state of Kentucky. And uh, I want to transition into the uh, kind of Trump versus DeSantis debate. And actually speaking of the the one seat majority in Congress, uh, you have endorsed Governor DeSantis and to uh, the dismay of some of your colleagues. And yeah. uh, and and you also I think my favorite line was that you have Trump antibodies because, you know, this really hasn't hurt you at all in terms of um, your favorite favorability with constituents, with overall conservatives. 
Um, but in terms, so I, I want you to, to explain to our audience why you chose Governor DeSantis, but also speaking of that one seat majority, um, how this top ticket uh, person that we select as conservatives would impact down ticket uh, ballot races like increasing the Republican majority. Because I think that that's a really big issue that people really aren't talking about with 2024. Well, yeah, there's a lot to unpack. First of all, let me tell you how I got the antibodies. Um, <laughs> during the CARES Act, remember when, when the coronavirus first hit, uh, they wanted to pass a bill to spend $2 trillion. It's called the CARES Act. Remember, there were $1,200 checks in there. I call that the cheese in the trap. The mice never figure out why the cheese is free. But there were $1,200 checks in a bill that spent $2 trillion. And I did the math, and I multiplied $1,200 times all the families or workers in the United States, and it ended up being less than 10% of that bill. And I said, wait, where's the rest of the money going? Well, it was basically to prop up Wall Street and the banks. Now, some would argue that they needed propped up, but if you didn't shut down our economy, you wouldn't need to do that. And so I objected to the CARES Act. I forced every member of Congress to come back to Washington, D.C., because they were going to pass it by unanimous consent. Unanimous consent means nobody is here. But if somebody does show up and object, then they got to bring everybody back. Well, that made the president unhappy. He wanted to spend $2 trillion, even though some of that $2 trillion went to fund the mail-in election of 2020. And so uh, he was very mad at me for that, said I should have been thrown out of the party for simply asking for a recorded vote. And, um, you know, called me a third-rate grandstander, all that. Of course, my primary opponent tried to use that to get me thrown out of my seat, and I got 81% of the vote in Kentucky in that primary shortly thereafter. So that's when I developed the antibodies. Now, the next cycle, 2022, Trump did endorse me. Um, but the reason I'm backing Ron DeSantis, he served in six years for six years in Congress, and he and I were good friends. We agree 85% of the time, which is about as much as you can hope for with any other human being to agree with them 85% of the time. But the 15 percent where I disagreed with him on his votes in Congress, he's so principled, I could know exactly how he was going to vote without talking to him because he didn't, you know, blow around in the breeze. And, um, you know, then he, when he went and became governor of Florida, he would call me up occasionally. And the one call that I got was during uh, the CARES Act, shortly after the CARES Act, while the, every, the world was panicking and shutting everything down, Governor DeSantis called me and he said, listen, I, yeah, I know. I see that you're the most hated man in Washington D.C. He said, "I'm pretty hated down here in Florida because I'm doing the same thing. I am going against the grain. I know popular opinion uh, says that we should shut our economy down." He said, "But I'm not shutting my economy down. I'm not shutting my schools down. The kids need to learn. I'm keeping the beaches open, and people can hate me for it." He said, and a lot of them do. He said, "But in two years, I think people will realize this is the right thing." And I thought, my goodness, a politician that thinks two years in advance, a lot of my colleagues can't think past lunchtime. And so um, that's, you know, that's when Governor DeSantis earned my support. Now, what does it mean down ballot? Um, it means a lot. Look, there are people, I understand, who will crawl through broken glass to vote for Donald Trump in the general election. And I appreciate that. There's a lot of dedicated people. But there are a lot of Democrats who will also crawl through broken glass to vote against Trump. 
Now, when they look down ballot, I think the Democrats are a little bit better about sticking together. They're just going to vote against every Republican on the ticket. And then some of those uh, Republicans and independents who are supporting Trump are not going to go down the ticket. They, you know, they're mad at Congress. They, they hate us, which that's fine. But um, and Trump's not encouraging them to go down the ticket. And frankly, his coattails are non-existent for Congress. We saw this in the last um, election that we had, the midterm election. There's supposed to be this giant red wave. Well, there was a red wave in Florida. Because of Ron DeSantis' leadership, he brought people into office. If, if not for Ron DeSantis' coattails in Florida, we might not have the majority right now in Congress. But there were supposed to be, you know, Trump had endorsed many candidates across the country, and they weren't swept into office. A lot of them lost. And so that's why we have the thin majority. I'm afraid we lose even more if Trump's at the top of the ticket. It's a, it's a very secondary reason to back Ron DeSantis. It, and I'm backing Ron DeSantis for other reasons, not because I'm worried about the majority in Congress. But it's a fact of life, and people should keep it in the back of their mind when they do select their candidate. Do you want us to be in the majority? Because if we lose the majority because Trump's at the top of the ticket and through some miracle he wins, uh, then he's going to get impeached like every month by these Democrats. They're rabid. Yeah, really well said. Congressman uh, Thomas Massey, I think that was the best response to a compound question I've ever had from a guest, uh, just very eloquently laid out. And in just the last two minutes or so I have with you this morning, and thank you so much for joining. Uh, you've been on the ground in Iowa. You've been campaigning with Governor DeSantis. What is your projection in terms of how that will go, and do you trust the polls? Well, I do not trust the polls. Based on my experience on the ground, I can tell you Nikki Haley does not have the support that Ron DeSantis has. I've seen I've seen polls that show there even in Iowa. That's a joke. I mean, look at the events. I would I've been to almost a dozen events now with I mean, large events, town hall type events with Ron DeSantis and in spontaneous town halls. We had a stop where we were supposed to stop at a coffee shop and just shake hands with maybe 20 or 30 people. 200 people showed up when we stopped the bus. We're like, we can't shake hands with 200. We got to do a town hall here. We had no microphones. We had no stage, no backdrop. And we did like the old-fashioned town halls. That was exciting to me because these people weren't called up and told, you know, come out, there's a town hall going on. They just showed up for Ron DeSantis. And I think, you know, we got some bad weather coming. Uh, I'm going to be in Iowa this weekend to experience minus 20, I guess, for the first time in my life. Uh, but I'm excited to do it, and Ron DeSantis supporters are excited to do it. I think he's going to do great. The people who are behind Ron DeSantis are locked in and dedicated. I think he's going to exceed every poll expectation that's out there. Just because when people agree that they're going to vote for Ron DeSantis, they really commit to it. Well, good luck, stay safe, and uh, we will see what happens on Monday. And Congressman Thomas Massey, thank you so much for your time and for your dedication to truly serve the American people and uphold conservative values. Our AFR family continues to pray for you, and thank you for all that you do. Uh, really appreciate it, and we will be back tomorrow with more of Jenna Ellis in the morning. You can always reach me and my team, Jenna at AFR.net. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast.
may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. I want to thank my sponsors, Preborn and Christian Healthcare Ministries. Preborn Network Clinics have rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion, and every day they save 200 babies' lives. But they can't do it without our help. Will you head over to preborn.com slash AFR and sponsor an ultrasound? Christian Healthcare Ministries is the longest serving health cost sharing ministry, helping Christians pay for and pray for one another's medical bills. Make the switch today and start saving. Visit chministries.org slash AFR. That's chministries.org slash AFR.